Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I have a little bit of a theory about college football fans. I, I think on average, the average college football fan is just a little savvier than the average fan from maybe, uh, you know, another sport, you know, another brand of football, for instance, or, or, or just another sport in general. I, I kind of think of the average college football fan as pretty plugged in. And the reason why I feel that way is let's go back to like mid-90s, for instance. You know, that was a time in which legacy media, traditional media, corporate media, newspapers, TV, radio, those kinds of big classic media entities – for the most part, they were covering sports in a very classic, straightforward way. A lot of Major League Baseball, a lot of NBA, a lot of NFL. You know, and, and, and beyond that, they probably weren't dipping their toe too much in any kind of like non-traditional water. But the advent of the Internet created this opportunity for college football fans to get the brand of the sport they wanted. And, you know, it wasn't just September, October, November. It was recruiting coverage, things like that. I mean, the, the explosion of like recruiting talk, very well closely aligns with the explosion of the internet mid 90s when the internet becomes kind of becomes a thing all of a sudden you know these college football fans are so plugged into what their school is doing from a from a from a recruiting standpoint that was an industry that was built you know on the internet to serve those fans and all these decades later you know you have a lot of college football fans who are kind of early adopters of internet sports culture in a way that maybe more traditional fans of other professional sports kind of kind of weren't so you got a lot of college football fans who have kind of a long history of, you know, following everything that happens with their sport online. They are, as the I guess saying sometimes goes, they are very online. And so I would say that sometimes with college football fans, it's kind of hard to fool them because of that. They are just a little bit more naturally suspicious. They have their own outlets, ways of communicating with each other. They're not necessarily going to believe everything they are told without having very good evidence and very good reason to do so. Now, the reason why I say all of that is because of this. There was some news that now most of you are aware of with the Georgia program yesterday. You can read about this at dognation.com, but I believe it was Pete the Mail from now at ESPN who was the first to report this, that Georgia secondary coach Jamal Adai has agreed to a two-year deal to become the new secondary coach at the University of Miami. He was one of the country's top recruiters, uh, he says, in 2021, but he means for the 2022 cycle. So that is what the Mail says as Adai leaves Georgia to go to Miami. And as I said before, you can read more about this at uh, dognation.com. But upon this news, and we actually addressed this in the comment section yesterday and over the course of the last few days, there had been rumors for a while that a die might be leaving. It seemed like maybe at one point those kind of started to fizzle out a little bit. But but this is actually the culmination of something that had been kind of in the rumor mill and the uh, you know the chatter amongst uh, once again college football fans online now for quite some time. So now that it has happened, a die leaving Georgia to go to Miami after only having been here for a year, there are a lot of college football fans that ask the question of, hey wait. What's going on here? How come Georgia had an assistant for a year, and after a year, he's just leaving? And that's just a little bit unorthodox. And I think some folks suggest, or they're asking the question of, wait, is it a problem? Did something go wrong here? Because typically, you wouldn't expect a guy to only be on a job uh, you know, this quickly. And you know, there's a lot of folks that kind of bounce up and say, no, no, no you got to understand that if he's leaving, it's because Georgia wanted to move on from him. And if he's leaving, it's because something wasn't quite working out for him there at Georgia. This says more about a die than it says about UGA. 
That's what some people say, and I think most Georgia fans can kind of understand that. But as I said before, the college football fan is a little bit more savvy, a little bit more online present, a little bit more suspicious of these kinds of sort of company line type arguments that sort of sound good in the year of a Georgia fan, but is it too good to necessarily be true, especially when if you want to go back in time. God knows what we said hyping up and die when he first came in here. You know, after the uh, success that he had at West Virginia the year before that. I mean, I'm sure we probably treated him like a conquering hero when he arrived, if you want to go back and listen to some of those shows. And now some of those same kinds of people, such as myself, would want to tell you, well, him leaving is actually not a big deal at all. It was good that he came here, but it's also now good that he's leaving. And you're left to say, wait, wait a second. How can both those things be true? So, so here's what I want to tell you here for a couple of minutes, which is that I do truly believe that a die leaving Georgia to go to Miami says more about him than it says about UGA, and his departure is actually probably not much of a problem at all. And I'm going to try to, for the very savvy, suspicious-minded college football fan over the course of like the next 60, 90 seconds, try to explain to you why I believe that's true. And as we look forward to seeing who the next defensive backs coach at Georgia is going to be or how Georgia feels, maybe better said, that 10th open coaching position uh that we can do so i think in pretty full confidence of this is not necessarily some sort of calamity for george that a die only lasted a year let me start with this and simplest thing first and sometimes the simplest argument is the best one george is the reigning national champion uh you know the idea that jamal a die leaving would be some sort of huge problem let's not forget that it's just a month ago it's keely ringo marching down the end zone the sideline towards the end zone to lead georgia to a national championship that it's very difficult for any coach's departure to be all that calamitous when georgia is still in the midst of cleaning up the confetti after celebrating the national championship there is that i think that has to be considered uh first and foremost here but then beyond that, there's this thought of, well, you know, Miami's trying to be big and bad now. Miami's trying to swoop in here and uh, be big on the NIL scene. They're trying to swoop in here and steal, uh, you know, a Georgia assistant, you know, whatever else. And in the case of Adai, yes, he is leaving to go to Miami. But it's important to remember a couple of things here. That the entirety of the college ball conversation is connected. You can't look at any one thing in a fishbowl all by itself. You can't pretend that this is somehow disconnected from everything else that's going on. And when you look at the Miami situation at large, what you see is, okay, so they hired a die, but the idea this is some sort of flex for the Hurricanes program would not seem to fall in line very well with the rest of the coaching hires they've attempted to make. I mean, it took them how long? I mean, we, we've actually even talked about this on this show, the difficulty and the struggles that Miami has had in acquiring an offensive coordinator. They've got one now in Josh Gaddis, but uh, he leaves Michigan, kind of only falls in their lap because of the disarray that's existing with the Wolverines program because of the fact that Jim Harbaugh almost left to go to the NFL and then decided not to. Other than that, uh, Gaddis is not a candidate right now. They have been turned down in seemingly high-profile fashion for a lot of other potential candidates for that job. So the notion that they're flexing by bringing in Jamal Adai does not seem to 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 you know coexist very well with the fact they haven't exactly flexed for some of the other coaching hires they've made. Beyond that, <laughs> George has actually already stolen a coach off the Miami staff earlier this offseason anyway. So once again, the notion this is some sort of hurricanes flex because they get a Jamal Adai. Well, if they were flexing, it seems like they would have flexed to keep Brian McClendon. But obviously, as you know, McClendon leaves uh, Miami, comes to Georgia. So keep this in mind. You've got the Georgia wide receiver position, which has historically been probably the weakest position group on the team, at least in recent years. And yet Georgia goes to Miami and gets its wide receivers coach and brings him back home to UGA. 
Conversely, the defensive backs position at Georgia, historically, I think you could say, under Kirby Smart, has been the strongest position group on the team. Yet somehow a coach leaving, does that say something bad about Georgia? I would suggest the overall contextual evidence would say that it probably does not. Plus, this is one of those things where honesty kind of compels me to admit. Look at the other coaches who've left Georgia in kind of a lateral move type situation. Unfortunately, I think you see a a little bit of a theme there. Now, listen, I've actually vouched for Cortez Hankton a bit. I think that Hankton has probably done a better job at Georgia, probably did a better job at Georgia than some people gave him credit for. But that's the kind of coach who leaves Georgia lateral move. A little bit of an underperforming position group. He goes back to his home state of Louisiana at LSU. That's the kind of guy who typically leaves. Or if it's not that, it's a guy like James Coley who, you know, leaves, goes become what, tight ends coach, whatever he is there at Texas A&M, or Jim Chaney who leaves the spot at Georgia to go to Tennessee. Not a lot of tears were shed by many Georgia fans when Jim Chaney left. Those are the kinds of coaches that typically leave make lateral moves out of a place like Georgia the kind of guy that most Georgia fans don't really seem to miss all that much and at least so far not too many of them have had big time impacts at the new job they went to that's probably fair to mention there too and in the case of Jamal Adai you kind of wonder if it's the same kind of thing going on here now the immediate retort to that is yeah but BA didn't you see how highly he was ranked on 24-7 sports list of top recruiters for the 2022 cycle. That's one of the things that Pete Thamel referenced there a moment ago. And admittedly, this was kind of an unprecedented haul for Georgia there in terms of defensive backs, maybe as good as almost anyone's ever done. But I think sometimes that the actual recipe for what wins and recruiting is a little more complicated than just an online website's ranking of top recruiters would suggest. And I'll show you one piece of evidence to kind of explain that. You know, here's Jaheim Singletary on Twitter going back to the end of the calendar year when Georgia went in person to visit with Singletary. If you look on the screen here, you see Todd Hartley, you see Kirby Smart, you see Will Muschamp. I'm not picking on Jamal Adai, but it is at least somewhat interesting for me to note that Adai is nowhere to be seen. Unless he's the guy holding the camera taking the picture, he doesn't appear to to be there in person with Jaheim Singletary when when George is in person with him. You've got an area recruiter, you've got the head coach, you've got a guy who seemed to make a pretty big impact stepping into an on-field role there with the defensive backs and Will Muschamp. Once again, I'm not disparaging Jamal Adai in any way, but let's not let, let's not act like his ranking on 24/7 sports list of top recruiters is some sort of exact science of just how impactful he was with the Georgia situation there overall. Just something to keep in mind. The bottom line is this, is that it is a little obviously weird when a guy only you know stays at Georgia for like a year and he's moving on. But honestly, this isn't all that different to me than what we talked about the other day with Brian Harson. that with Harson kind of on the outs after just a year at Auburn, what I told you last week was a lot of people want to make this an Auburn story, and I understand why. But part of this for me is if you're at the top group of five job and Boise State arguably could be that it's 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 as good as you get at kind of the group of five level and you're so ill prepared for the SEC that you can't even make it a year to me this says more about the rest of college football than it does Auburn the fact that a place like Boise who you know competes at a pretty high level wins a lot of games been kind of a fixture on the national stage for a while their coach after doing that for however many years he did that was completely ill prepared for what the actual rigor of the SEC was going to require. And while I'm not ready to say the same thing about Jamal Adai, I don't think the contrast between what happens in the SEC and what happens in the rest of college football has ever been more stark and more vastly different than it is right now. 
there are some people who just don't want to do it the way it's done here. They, they, they just don't. They're not going to be a good fit with the coaches who coach it. They're not going to be a good fit with the players who play it. They're just not going to be that. We'll never know quite if Jamal Adai was uh, that kind of guy or not. But if he was, he wouldn't be the first guy to step into the SEC and find out he's a little happier somewhere else. All right, so with that said, let me transition now to something else. And kind of on the same vein, but you know, in, in, in a slightly different take, uh, going back to last week a little bit, that a die now leaving opens up a spot for Georgia, but a couple of those spots were, or actually uh, a couple of those spots have actually been filled in the last couple of days there as well. So I want to fill in some of the gaps on this show related to that. I mentioned a moment ago, Brian McClendon hired at Miami to come in there and help upgrade the offense, something that the Hurricanes desperately need to do. But then Georgia swoops in, gets him, brings him back to the campus where he'd had some success before, prior to a couple of other stops after that and when Kirby Smart spoke on national signing day last Wednesday Smart did talk about what he thinks McClendon brings to the table and why it was that bringing McClendon back home was something that he wanted to do so in light of all the other assistant coaching news that's out there today let's go back in time to last week Smart telling us about McClendon in regards to BMAC, you know I have a tremendous amount of respect for uh, Brian and the job he's done I've always respected him on the road recruiting had a lot of years at Alabama that I recruited uh, against him in the state of Georgia, um, coached him as a player here uh, in terms of the way he carried himself. He's a special teams player, a leader, um, got a lot of respect for him. He's worked for people on our staff, worked with people on our staff, and uh, I'm big on fit. And, and does someone fit the culture we're trying to create? Uh, we don't look at a lot of things that people on the outside world look at. I look at, can they make our staff better? Can they make our players better? Do they fit our culture? And um, he checked the box on the most uh, of those and was the best fit and, and, and wants to be here. That's important to me um, and what we created, Georgia. We've told you before that I think there were potentially a lot of right answers for Georgia that's wide receiver coaching hire. And maybe at some point in time, one of those other former players can be involved in this conversation. I hope that they are. But in the immediacy here in 2022, I think that Brian McClendon represents a very big-time hire for UGA. I think Smart kind of lays it out in pretty clear terms is exactly why that is. Tr- proven track record of success, a uh, guy who we know gets it done in recruiting. You can cite not just players th- from the position like he's going to be uh, you know, in- involved with right now, like Josh Fan, but think about the impact he had you know, uh, as an area recruiter for a guy like Kingsley Ambari or you know, something along those lines. This is a guy that's been – you know, a, a pretty big time recruiter in the past and obviously gets a chance to now focus all of that energy and attention onto uh, the receiver position there at Georgia, which I think is a is a pretty cool thing. Another coaching addition, at least staffing addition, that Smart also referenced last week was another former dog as well, Mike Bobo coming back home. And by the way, <laughs> we'll get more into Derek Mason later on. How happy do you think Mike Bobo is to no longer be working at Auburn? No longer be working for uh the absolute tire fire that is uh the Harson administration there on the plains. Gotta be the happiest guy in the world. Coming back to Georgia off field analyst role. Uh Kirby Smart also talked about why that makes some sense for his program. This once again, Kirby from last week. In terms of Mike, there's a lot of value. And the experiences he's had, he's been a head coach. He's been an offensive coordinator at our conference. He knows our conference. The five-hour radius we recruit in, he's extremely uh, versed in that. He has a ton of relationships that create value. Um, and as far as role, um, that'll play out as we as we go along. 
So I think that, you know, in some respects, the, the Bobo thing almost probably gets more attention than it deserves because he is not an on-field coach. He's an off-field guy. He's in the analyst role. And those situations are always additive because you're not choosing him over somewhere else, uh, or, or I should say over someone else. You're simply, you know, adding that into the mix of the football expertise that you have in your building. Bobo could have coached a lot of places here in 2022, but he wants to be in this role at Georgia. I think that's a very good thing for the dogs all the way uh, around. And so interesting to hear Smart's update on that. One of the things we were also going to talk about yesterday, didn't get a chance to, is Georgia did make it official as well with new outside linebackers coach. And you know, I think the thing I'm probably the most disappointed about the start of this era is the way I butchered the pronunciation. I'm going to ask Connor Riley in a moment when he joins us what he's going with from a pronunciation standpoint. Let me see the, the announcement from George on this. I'm going to go with Chudiza Guru. I'm going to go with Diraby. I think some people are going to want to put the uh, enunciation on the end of the word, like Daribe, and I don't think that's what it is. I think it's Diraby. That's what I'm going with. I'm actually sometimes fairly decent at pronunciations. But I'm going to go Diraby on this. Chidera Yuzo Diraby. That's what I'm going with. Sure to be wrong pronunciation. I've told you a couple times why I think a young up-and-coming guy like this is a pretty interesting addition to the program, and we'll let Connor weigh in on that himself coming up in a couple minutes. The bottom line is this. We are in that kind of wild and crazy time of year where the coaching carousel, you almost think it's done spinning, and then it keeps going a little bit more. So we're kind of in that mo- uh, moment right now. And so we'll continue to try to follow it wherever it goes from here. And no doubt there's going to be some more talk about this before the offseason is done. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, and we're glad to be with you. Whether it's 945 on our first and 15 dognation.com the dog nation app 10 a.m facebook youtube twitter twitch the radio at noon on athens sports radio 960 the ref podcast wherever you find them the apple player spotify all the other uh various platforms there as well just really happy to have you with us for what we do today and a big thanks to our friends at engineered solutions of georgia not only for being proud partners of uga and good friends of ours here on dog nation daily but also for just doing great work i mean let's face it, a lot of us are homeowners and you know our home represents not just the place where our happiest memories are collected but it's also the most substantial financial investment we have as well it's a big part of our net worth it's something that really matters to us and anything that threatens our home really threatens us you know it's the it's the structural integrity of the place where we live after all it's the kind of thing we have a lot of future hopes and dreams pinned on so you don't want anything threatening that whether it be water creeping in that's not supposed to be or cracks in the walls that can be a suggestion of a foundation problem truly that is the kind of thing that needs to be seen about and when it comes to to one of those situations like you don't have time to like trust your you know situation to anything other than a tried and true expert right you want the obvious irresistible choice and and really in a lot of ways that is what engineered solutions of georgia has been because they've been doing this for such a long time like they have two full-time engineers on staff i dare say that nobody understands more about how all those things water where it's not supposed to be crack sign of a bigger problem nobody has a greater level of expertise than how all of that impacts your home than my friends at engineered solutions of georgia they want to help you and in some cases, they want to provide you the good news of, hey, this is actually just a simple fix. Because to me, everything seems like a disaster, but they understand the difference between the big thing and the small thing. And if it's a small thing, they're happy to tell you that. Hey, go to the hardware store and buy whatever you need. Uh, but if it's a bigger thing, well, that's where they want to roll up their sleeves and get to work for you doing you know big, good work there as well. And they're easy to get in touch with. 
You can simply dial this number, 678-ESOG now. That's 678-ESOG now. That'll get you in touch with Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Great to have them as a part of the program today. We're going to get Connor Riley coming up in just a moment. Uh, a lot to do with him as a part of a Kroger Fresh Take. Before that, I want to squeeze in a little bit of an Around the Doghouse here. And I want to go back in time just for a moment. Uh, let's go back to many months ago now. We had a guy named Richard Cross who lives in Oxford, Mississippi. He's on the Ole Miss uh, radio broadcast down there, local radio guy in the state of Mississippi for a long time. This is a guy that's pretty plugged in to the Ole Miss program. Uh, you know, I would dare say Richard Cross is a legitimate Ole Miss insider. And so we had Richard on SEC Country Live to talk about the recruitment of Arch Manning as it stood at the time. And what Richard said way back then is on my mind today for reasons that I'll explain. But first of all, let me go back to a few months ago and give you the Ole Miss Insider's update on where he thinks things stood with 2023 quarterback Arch Manning at the time. Take a listen to this. I honestly think that you've only got four programs that are legitimately in it. I, I think it's Alabama and Texas and Georgia and Ole Miss. Uh, you know, I mean, I know there are people that want to say, yeah, but his mom went to Virginia. Come on, Arch Manning's not going to Virginia. <laughs> um, you know, Clemson, I, I don't know. It feels – it all of a sudden feels like there's kind of a weird vibe with Clemson. Mm. And, and why are you going to go to the ACC? I mean, there, there's one thing that those four programs have in common. They either are SEC teams or are going to be SEC teams. Uh, the Mannings strike me very much as a, an SEC family. So I think that's really interesting from Richard Cross way back many months ago from the Ole Miss perspective on SEC Country Live saying that in his mind, you know, Clemson shouldn't be taken seriously for Arch Manning, that it probably comes down to Georgia, Bama, Ole Miss, and Texas. Now, the reason why that's interesting to me, what Richard Cross once said on SEC Country Live is, is some of what Richard told us has actually proved to be quite prophetic because... You can look now, back then, and hear Cross say, "No, nah, Clemson's weird. Clemson's kind of off the you know radar compared to what they once used to be." Uh, Arch Manning doesn't feel like an ACC. The Mannings don't feel like ACC type families. Lo and behold, that's actually turned out to be true. Steve Wiltfong, very good reporter for twenty four seven Sports, kind of a national recruiting analyst, has recently written about Arch Manning there at twenty four seven Sports dot com. And what Wiltfong tells us is that there is now evidence that he's narrowing his list and removed Clemson, another program that he once visits twice, but now no longer in consideration. Now, a lot of this is understandable. And, you know, Clemson is still in the mix for other, you know, big time quarterbacks. So, you know, and you know, has a nice looking quarterback on campus. So it's not like, you know, Clemson's devoid of quarterback talent. But what Richard Cross said those months ago, uh, all, all of a sudden, starts to feel a little bit more real that, yes, indeed, uh, 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 Clemson has been eliminated. And furthermore on that, what Richard Cross told us on SEC Country Live, hey, it comes down to Georgia, Bama, uh, Texas, and uh, Ole Miss. That is also who Steve Wiltfong at 24-7 Sports in that same story tells us are the four finalists for Arch Manning Services, the four that I just mentioned. And with that, there's another kind of twist in all this there as well. That for a lot of people, they say, well, you may have those four, but he's not really going to go to Ole Miss and you know, maybe not really going to Alabama. They're also involved with other quarterbacks here too. That the actual battle may be between Georgia and Texas. And with that in mind, it seemed like Texas may be on its way to making a pretty you know, uh, 
you know, credible move if it wants to put itself in the best position for Arch overall. You may have seen it reported recently. I think it was uh, uh, Chris Hummer, I believe is his name. Yeah, Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports has a, quote, good possibility that former Duke head coach David Cutcliffe is going to, go, is going to join the Texas staff in an off-field capacity. Now, Cutcliffe, most recently Duke head coach, but you'll know him before that as former Ole Miss head coach working with Eli Manning, former Tennessee offensive coordinator working with Peyton Manning. This is a guy that's deeply tied to the Manning family. By almost anybody's estimation, Cutcliffe in kind of an off-field analyst role at Texas would be helpful to uh, the pursuit of Arch Manning there, which once again brings me back to the uh, Richard Cross line that I played for you a moment ago. So if the Mannings are an SEC family, and it comes down to Georgia and Texas, and Texas is aided by David Cutcliffe. Is Texas SCC enough right now to win the Manning recruitment? If the guy who you know knows the Manning situation pretty well says, hey, it's kind of SEC or nothing here, is Texas, who's not yet in the SEC, and as of right now, we still don't quite know exactly when they're going to be in the SEC, but are they SEC enough right now to feel like the kind of place that Manning can call home? And how much does the Cutcliffe recruitment and all of this uh, matter? And how does the presence of Cutcliffe, who the Manning family has a long collection of ties with, compared to that if you're watching on video a moment ago, we showed you all the Georgia coaches who were in person to watch Manning play basketball the other night, where it's Matt Luke and it's Buster Faulkner and it's Todd Munkin. How does the Cutcliffe arrival as a part of what Steve Sarkeesian is doing in Austin compared to the guys in the Georgia staff that Manning also seems to have a pretty good relationship, even if it's a little shorter than the Cutcliffe relationship. The point is, I think this is going to be a really fun few months on this. We're actually maybe not all that far away from Manning actually maybe ultimately making a decision. Could happen maybe sometime this summer, maybe. And it's going to heat up a lot before all that goes down. And if it does come to to Georgia or Texas or, you know, to the extent that Ole Miss or Alabama get back involved with this, what are the moves that ultimately seal the deal here? The presence of the guys that Georgia currently has on staff, the addition of a guy like Cutcliffe to Texas, this could be a pretty fun offseason story. And while we can't predict necessarily how this is going to end, I think you can say with some certainty right now that Georgia's in about as good a position as anyone could be for the Arch Manning recruitment, at least right now. We'll do more of that certainly uh, coming up. But for now, on everything else going on around the University of Georgia and a busy time of trying to hire coaches, trying to get some new coaches, trying to keep the guys you got and everything else in between, let's do a Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, so uh, a lot to do with Connor Riley. We'll do a lot of this in relationship to the coaching changes and the changes that now need to be made. And Connor's actually written a good bit about that at DogNation.com. So we'll do that coming up as part of our Kroger Fresh Take here today. But Connor, before that, since I was doing the Arch Manning thing, let me at least just begin right there with you. Like, how on your radar right now is the Manning thing? I mean, to me, the Manning recruitment is almost more interesting for all the other dominoes that could fall around that. This, to me, feels like the kind of recruit that could have some pretty significant coattails, could bring other recruits with him if he were to choose a place like Athens. And it feels like, whether it's the cut lifting to Austin or whatever else, it feels like we're kind of in the moment now where all of this is really about to start heating up. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say I'm not that, relatively speaking, interested in the Arch Manning recruitment from a Georgia aspect anyway, because you look at what they have at the quarterback position 
They have Brock Vandegrift. They have Gunnar Stockton, two guys they feel very good about that they signed in the 2021 and 2022 recruiting classes. So from a you know need standpoint, Georgia doesn't need to go out there and land Arch Manning. It may very well want to do so, but there's not this, hey, we have to go out and land a really talented quarterback in this recruiting cycle. And so with that in mind, you know, there are other things that I am more focused on, specifically even within this upcoming recruiting class. I think you have to land dynamite wide receiver prospects. I, I think running back is another area where you're going to have to really land some home run hitters there on that offensive side of the ball. So while I understand the Arch Manning, you know, interest in, in whatnot, I'm also at the end of the day, a Tom Brady guy and a Tom Brady fan. And so because of that, I'm a little less interested maybe in, in the whole saga around Arch Manning. Follow up on this, and I want to move on to a different topic. I agree with you about playmakers in the 2023 class. Simple answer here. Do you not think the presence of Manning would make acquiring those playmakers, especially the wide receivers, easier? I would say probably yes. But at the end of the day, I think George is going to have to recruit well at those positions, regardless of who the quarterback is or specifically whether or not they get Arch Manning or not. And so it's sort of putting that horse before that cart. Finally, for me, I try to be as candid as I possibly can be. This is a total confession. Part of my desire to see Georgia get Manning is to win the intramural squabble with other Georgia fans who ask all these questions about what's going on with the Georgia quarterback. Part of me just wants to, just wants to win the argument within the Georgia fan base about whether quarterback is some sort of huge problem at UGA or not. And I think that the arrival of Manning would be a validation that those of us who've chosen not to spend our life worried about this were right in doing so. See, I'm sort of the other way on that. I actually think it makes things worse for Georgia in that aspect in terms of talking about quarterback because suddenly if you get Arch Manning, you're going to turn Brock Vandergriff and Gunnar Stockton to highly recruited quarterbacks. The fan base is going to, and I say fan base, I, I, I mean, you know, people that obsess over the quarterback position and whatnot and who is playing it, they're going to turn Gunnar Stockton and, and Brock Vandergriff into Stetson Bennett. And they're going to think they're so much lesser because simply of Arch Manning's presence. When in reality, Georgia's going to be just fine at quarterback, I think, especially as long as Todd Munkin is calling plays there as an offensive coordinator for Georgia. All right, let's turn our attention to the coaching situation right now. I kind of laid out the evidence the best that I could a moment ago why the Adai departure probably says more about him than it does Georgia. I'm not trying to disparage him or whatever else, but but uh, like I have a hard time you know, believing that his departure is going to prove to be a calamity. What did you make of the fact that this rumored move actually now finally occurred after a while in which maybe it seemed like it was going to happen. Now it has happened before we get into anything else, specifically a die leaving. What do you think about that? Yeah. So I'm not stunned by it. I think if you've read some of the tea leaves and followed some of the reporting on this, you know, Kirby smart spent a lot of time last week talking about fit both within the coaching staff and within you know, players that he is looking for as a part of his program. And this isn't to say that Jamal Adai is a bad coach. I don't believe that it is the case there. I just don't think he necessarily fit what Georgia is looking for in its program and what it is building towards and wants to become. And so for him to be able to find a great landing spot in Miami, a school that is probably going to pay him well, almost certainly pay him more than Georgia paid him this past season. I think the move makes sense for both parties. I don't think there's any bad blood between the two sides here. I, I think when you have Kirby Smart and you have Will Muschamp on your staff on field as on field coaches, 
coaching the secondary is going to be a very difficult position and it's not going to be something for everyone. That's why, you know, in some of the names that first popped up, Travis Robinson, who's now at Alabama, I thought when this was first rumored over a month ago, would have made a lot more sense because he's worked with Muschamp before and understands some of the dynamics there. I think whatever Georgia ends up doing with this 10th assistant, whether it be promoting one of their analysts, such as Scott Cochran or Buster Faulkner, or, or bringing in an outside hire, like say DeMarcus Van Dyke, a Carl Scott, whoever it ends up being, I think the ability to work with Kirby Smart and Will Muschamp in that defensive back room is very important because, you know, as we see with the way this recruiting class was put together, you know, Jaheim Singletary, uh, Julian Humphrey, even I would say Dalen Everett, those guys all have relationships with Will Muschamp. And I think that played a very key part in Georgia going out and signing that recruiting class that they did. I want to go down a rabbit hole for a minute here. I just feel like, and I've said this now a couple of times in the show, the chasm between what's working in the SEC and what might be working in the rest of college football is just vast right now. I think one of the reasons why that's so true is the Saban influence has reemerged, I, th- I think, as the most dominant factor in the SEC right now. Like at one point in time, you had Dan Mullen having success at Florida, a non-Saban guy, Gus Malzahn at Auburn, a non-Saban guy, Ed Orgeron at LSU, a non-Saban guy. But those, I would describe them as more casual coaches, a little bit more laid back coaches. They're all gone. I mean, you know, you know, the SEC chewed them up and, and for the most part spit them out. Like look at who, at least from a recruiting standpoint, is dominating within the league right now. Former Saban guy and Jimbo Fisher, very, very uh, tightly wound. Kirby Smart, very tightly wound, and I mean that in a complimentary sense. Obviously, Saban's still going strong there at Alabama. That the burn the candle at both ends, go 100 miles an hour, never stop recruiting, on-field tenacity, you know, like that is what's kind of redefined success in the SEC after a while, which it seemed like some of the former Saban assistants weren't always doing quite so well in some SEC stops, Jeremy Pruitt, people like that. Actually, the Saban influence, I believe, has kind of reemerged as the dominant paradigm within the SEC, which makes the SEC then far different from the most of the rest of college football. And so newcomers to this league, whether they be head coaches or assistant coaches, it ain't going to be for everybody. See, I'm not so much willing to buy into that in terms of the Saban on-field coaching model or or how much he is doing on-field. I I think the biggest reason Saban has had the success that he has had at Alabama is because he, upon arriving there in 2007, made it very clear. When I am coming here, you are saying yes to everything that I asked for. I'm getting the blank checks that I want to get. And Kirby Smart has gotten that same treatment in Georgia. It is why Georgia has had, I believe, over $180 million spent and facility upgrades. It is why Georgia is recruited as well as it has. It is why Georgia won a national championship this past year. I think you look at, you know, Miami, for example, they now have an alignment was a very big word. You heard Lincoln Riley and USC mentioned that when Lincoln Riley was hired out there, you heard Cristobal mention that at Miami, there is alignment from the head coach to the top levels of the administration in that school, in those schools. Now, Texas A&M, I will include there as well. And it is all about, I think, spending money, spending money on investments, you know, whether it be players, things for the players, coaching staff, things like that. And so the money aspect that all this ties into, you know, there's a, I think the, the movie scene that best describes college football right now in the big short, when we, we, we have the pitch meeting between Ryan Gosling and Steve Carell's sort of investment firm, there's a giant Jenga stack in there. And, and, and Ryan Gosling's character is like, you smell that? And his assistant says, oh, it's opportunity. He's like, no, you idiot. It's money. And I think a lot of the way college football is shaping up right now and the way it is going is just because of all this money that has been poured into this sport. And you've seen Alabama sort of start that trend with Saban. And while, you know, everyone is talking about AM and they're talking about Miami, 
Georgia and Alabama are not poor. They're going to be just fine and be willing to spend what Texas A&M and Miami are willing to do. Chudera Uzo Diraby. How do you think I did on that? I'm, I'm going to go with Diraby on the last name. See, see I'm going to go Chudea Uzo Diraby. But, but I, I could, could be, be wrong. wrong. I think you're thinking about the Spanish influence. This is not a Spanish, you know, like the Spanish influence with the accent on the last syllable. This is not a Spanish last name. I, I don't think the accent's going to be on the last syllable. I, I just hope there's clarification out there, and I'll look for it on the internet. But <laughs> I think CUD is what a lot of people are going to call him until we get that official clarification. How about this as a nickname? What do you think about Uzi as a nickname? Kind of, <laughs> uh, kind of a playoff Uzo Uzi. I, I think that's kind of a cool nickname, Coach Uzi. I feel like that's. <laughs> cool nickname you know i don't know if we want to be drawing parallels to weapons with coaches out there it's not exactly my my cup of tea so the only thing i've said about him is because it's literally the only thing i know about him um i do think it's impressive that he was an off-field analyst for one year and got hired to be an on-field coach the next year you can say what you want about kansas you can say what you want about less miles and people have said plenty about both but that is a level of upwardly mobile trajectory where you have to really look the part to move that fast and so i have every reason to believe that there's a reason that kirby smart's hiring him it's the kind of thing that maybe a less miles would have recognized in the past as well yeah so i think you look at what kirby smart did with dan landing nobody really knew who dan landing was and he had a sort of very quick movement from off-field analyst small school guy to working at Arizona State, to ultimately getting on to Memphis's staff and then Georgia's staff from there. One thing I've sort of found in digging about CUD is he's got very strong recruiting ties to both California and Texas, two major areas that Georgia, you saw them recruit later on in the cycle. They land Ernest Green out of Los Angeles area. They land Andrew Paul and Dylan Bell out of Texas. I, I think you know Georgia is going to want to have access to those guys in those major metropolitan markets. And I think CUD has shown at places like Kansas, SMU, and even TCU a little bit, that he's able to do that. You put a Georgia G on his polo now, I think that's going to give him a lot more ammunition to sort of be an up-and-coming type coach like we saw Dan Lanning was at Georgia in a very quick amount of time. Yeah, I almost feel like like this the way that I said this on video yesterday. So like when Tony Parker got drafted in the first round by the Spurs, not the big man who went to UCLA and almost went to Georgia, but like the French point guard. Uh, they asked Charles Barkley on TV what he thought about him. He said, I don't know anything about him, but if they're taking him in the first round, he must be good. I, I guess I sort of feel the same way about uh, the new outside linebackers coach. I don't really know anything about him, but if George is hiring him, he must be pretty good. That's my that's my overall take on this. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the fact that he doesn't have the obvious tie to Kirby Smart, I think says a lot probably about how he interviewed and what he was able to impress on coaches. And I'll point out, he, he played for Colorado last decade, was a very successful player there in his time for the Buffaloes. And, you know, again, having ties to the areas that he does, he's from California, he's coached in the state of Texas. You can recruit guys to go to Kansas. I, I think you can recruit just about anywhere. And so I think this is a, a good hire where Georgia already obviously has a lot of strong defensive minds on it. And it is going, I think, to be a role where he is able to grow over time into a bigger and bigger name for this staff. I want to address another topic with you here in a moment before we wrap things up. Let me remind folks before we get there, this is our Kroger Fresh Take with Connor Riley right now. And obviously we're getting ready for the big game on Sunday. I got a lot of folks coming over. That means party platters. That means all kinds of beverages, all kinds of food. 
goodness knows my family eats plenty as it is and folks coming over add, only add to that we got to get stocked up for everything and the only place we would go to get stocked up for all that is at our local kroger i'd encourage you to do the same thing in fact if you want to find out more about this check out kroger.com football that's kroger.com football for a lot more on that or just stop by in store get all the balloons I, I always like the the big game always has like the official branded like plates and napkins things like that pick up some of that everything else but the booth the food the beverages all of that available for you at your local kroger make sure you check that out connor one final thing before we let you go here today interesting story at dognation.com kind of post signing day with what georgia brings in who we for now still consider to be on the uga roster that is a signal that there is still plenty more player movement to come because as of right now georgia's the best of our knowledge well above that 85 scholarship threshold so we are not done talking about offseason maneuverings it would certainly seem no, I think you're going to see a lot of movement, especially with regards to Georgia after spring practice. And it's not limited to just Georgia. I think that's something you're going to see across the landscape of college football by my math. And again, this is an unofficial count because I think Georgia scholarship count is guarded more closely than some nuclear secrets out there. Uh, they to my math at 92 scholarship players right now. And so what that means is you're going to have to see at least seven guys either go off scholarship, whether that be transfer, you know, medical issues that might persist and, and pop up there. You're going to see more guys transfer. And it might even be higher than that when you consider George is probably going to want to bring in a speedy wide receiver. They might want some more help in a defensive back room where other than Keely Ringo, there's not a whole lot of experience at that cornerback position. So I don't expect Georgia to, you know, add three, four guys via the transfer portal, but I would expect one to two, maybe potentially three guys sort of like we saw last off season for Georgia all to come aboard after spring practice. So while I think we've reached a little lull right now and Georgia is currently under the 85 for the spring semester, with 11 guys coming in, you're going to see another, you know, heavy amount of transfer portal additions from this Georgia roster after spring practice. Up here that the transfer portal name that maybe is acquired by Georgia, that could be a player that's actually not even currently in the portal. I would, I would probably agree with that. Uh, pretty interesting stuff. Connor, thanks for being here as part of our Kroger Fresh Take today. We'll look forward to reading a whole lot more from you at dognation.com. You've had some great stuff lately, more great stuff to come, including some uh, more looks today at some of the aftermath of the Adai departure. So we'll uh, enjoy that and talk to you again very soon. Yep, yep. as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, so uh, really good stuff with the Connor Riley. That's one of the things that he's good at, you know, kind of crunching those numbers and small details, collecting all that together. So if you want a really good read, check that out from Connor Riley. Also, uh, we didn't really have time to get into this. Great piece, winners and losers from signing day, the various position groups, uh, grading those uh, position groups. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, It's a good way to kind of – I'm one of those guys that – after a while, it's sort of hard for me to even remember everything. And so when you see it all kind of laid out in, in, in very or, well-organized, uh, sensible way, I think it's just kind of a good way to go back and relive what the 2022 cycle was and kind of how Georgia did in each of those position groups. Kind of had a great piece up that up on that at uh, dognation.com. We're going to transition now and get ready to go cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Obviously, you've heard me tell you we have big things planned with Royal Caribbean in 2022, including my own cruise here coming up very soon. I can't wait to tell you more about that. Uh, and I'm, it's one of those things, like, I'm one of those guys that when I'm getting ready to take a vacation, I spend a lot of time in the planning process. I really enjoy that part of it. I, I really feel like that planning for a vacation is almost as much fun as being on the vacation because you just get the anticipation the sense of all that and so i get deep into you know 
the ship is obviously sailing and being on the ship is so much fun but the various ports of call that you go to you've heard me talk about port uh coco k perfect uh, let me try that one more time perfect day coco k you've heard me talk about that that private island right there uh oasis in the bahamas but also other ports there as well and you have these great shore excursions you take with royal caribbean on each of the ports that you go to and i love planning all that and deciding what's right for me and what's going to be fun and the specialty restaurants on board the ship that i want to eat on like a chops grill I'm a big steakhouse type guy and so you've got this classic american steakhouse chops grill on so many of the royal caribbean cruise ships get a chance to enjoy that some of them have playmaker sports bar uh, that's always a really cool thing there's all kinds of specialty restaurants on board here they're great shows there's ice skating shows there's high diving shows there's an aqua theater you know, there's just broadway style shows like greece i mean it's really amazing all that there is to do when you're on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. And I love just kind of getting into that. I'll be telling you a lot more about the cruise I'm about to take here coming up really soon. Very excited about that. But also, if you want help with all of this, because you hear me talking about it, but obviously I don't have time to tell you everything that's going on. What I would tell you to do is check out my friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority because they can fill in the gaps and they can give you even more of an expert explanation about how all of this can work out for you to be the great vacation that you and your family and those that you love really deserve. So it's the Cruise and Vacation Authority. If we're booking Royal Caribbean cruises, we're using the Cruise and Vacation Authority to do it. TCAVA.com. That's TCAVA.com. That's the website. Or 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. Make sure you check them out today. So as we go cruise around the SEC, didn't get a chance to do this yesterday. So let's talk about some of the things that at least we were going to try to talk about yesterday, including the Brian Harson situation, which boy, oh boy, is quite a mess right now. So Harson gets interviewed by Chris Lowe at ESPN.com and makes basically an emphatic plea that he wants to keep his job. Like he's fighting for this. And if you read the piece, I don't have time to read all the quotes for you right now, but if you read the piece, it's pretty smart, I would say, politically, how Harson plays all of this. Because on the one hand, I would say that he was a failure in his first year on the job. And, you know, maybe he deserves another chance on that. Maybe he doesn't. I guess you have to be deeply, closely tied to the situation to really know for sure, maybe. But but whether he does or he doesn't, Harson clearly doesn't want to get fired. He clearly wants to get that second chance. And so if you read the piece with Lowe at ESPN.com, one of the things that Harson does, I think, very smart from a political standpoint is, it almost seems like he positions himself against the unseen powers that be like there's a there's a bingo uh, card that's been going around the internet of all these auburn twitter spaces that are going on and like what gets talked about in these twitter spaces and you know the cliched phrases that get used over and over powers that be is definitely one of those because auburn for whatever reason is well known for the appearance of meddling boosters and maybe sometimes that's true maybe sometimes it isn't maybe sometimes the guys you think you've heard of like bobby louder in the past jimmy rain more so now or maybe sometimes that's not quite as much as it's you know, made out to be. But pretty clearly, Harson's trying to position himself as an enemy to these, as some Auburn fans would say, meddling boosters. And I think that's probably a pretty smart thing to do that he says, hey, folks need to leave me alone. Let me coach this team. And I think that argument will work with some people. On the other hand, though, the notion that Harson's going to stay at Auburn starts to feel to me a little bit more like a remote possibility just simply because of the fact that Auburn administration is acknowledging the fact they're having meetings about this. You know, Alan Green, the athletic director, talking to the team. Uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Auburn just hired a new president. But, you know, the, the kind of conversation from kind of the administrative level related to we're trying to sift through all this and figure out what's going on. It is fairly obvious that behind the scenes, Auburn is looking for a reason to fire Harson with cause. I'm not a lawyer, but I certainly have followed a lot of this enough of this stuff around college ball over the years to know 
that's just very unlikely to happen. It's just, it just almost that almost never happens in college sports. And deep down, Auburn probably knows that. And if somehow they have to move off of Harson, move on from Harson, and have to pay that buyout, they're going to owe like forty something million dollars to head coaches who they've moved on from in just like the last two years alone. I mean, like that's that's a pretty in addition to the financial hit that you take on that, that's a pretty big black eye for the program all the way around. It's embarrassing, and ultimately, I believe that's what this is really about. This isn't so much about the finances, even though the money is not endless. This isn't so much about the finances as it is the attempt to say face of, well, we fired a coach after a year, but you got to understand he was uniquely terrible. That's why we had to do it. And I don't know if that's the case. I mean, honestly, to me, what seems like here is it's actually a fairly run of the mill story. Auburn reached for a guy lower than the SEC level in the hope that he would rise the occasion of what the job required. And it appears that Harson's just incapable of doing it. And you can say what you want about abrasive coaching style and certain players have said bad things about him. Certain players have said good things about him. All the other rumors that are out there, all of that totally unsubstantiated. And some people, I'm, I'm afraid, are on the verge of having their life ruined uh, just so Auburn can save a little bit of money on a buyout. Frankly, that's a pretty grotesque part of, of all of this. But one way or another, what this is really about is a coach that you pulled up from the minor leagues hoping that he could play at the big leagues, and he just simply can't. He can't keep coaches employed he can't keep players in the program not winning enough games and that's ultimately what this is about and yeah you may have some boosters who are using that shaky first year to say see i told you so but ultimately the issue is not the meddling boosters i believe as much as it is a coach who's giving too much fodder for those to say we told you this guy wasn't good enough to begin with ultimately that's what all of this is about and so auburn can try to find some sort of justifiable firing with cause type scenario but i don't think they're going to get there now speaking of that on a slightly different subject but but still the same kind of thing it is now being reported that Derek Mason, his decision to leave Auburn for Oklahoma State, and we told you this at the time, that folks were not paying enough attention to Mason's departure. All of the stuff around Harson seemed to blow up once Austin Davis decided not to stay as offensive coordinator. But the Mason thing was the biggest tell of the offseason because it certainly did not seem like Mason was fired by Harson. We now know that he wasn't. Uh, he just simply wanted to leave. And how bad did he want to leave? He's going to Oklahoma State, which is a step down from a program. That is not a lateral move. Auburn to Oklahoma State is not a lateral move. That's a slightly downward progression. And so much so that that Mason's now going to make $400,000 less at Oklahoma State this year than he made at Auburn this past year. And the only seeming reason why that's the case is he simply doesn't want to work for Brian Harson anymore. Boy, what a disaster that is. And the biggest bellwether of all of that, I believe, is the way in which Mason's handled his offseason. Pretty interesting stuff there. Uh, one more SEC through story I want to get to here uh, just for a moment. Uh, obviously, um, a lot of talk there in the Auburn situation. But recently at Orgeron, the now outed, oust, not outed, oust, that's a different word, uh, ousted uh, LSU coach was interviewed by a local TV station uh, in Louisiana. And he was asked about the fact that a lot of these, you know, former head coaches, big names, have ended up working at LSU, at Alabama. And in some cases, those guys that have moved on to Alabama have rehabilitated their career. In the case of Steve Sarkeesian, he became Texas head coach after that. And, you know, Brian Dable's a head coach in the NFL after being offensive coordinator. Like a lot of guys have come through the Alabama program and actually done pretty well for themselves. And so um, Orgeron was on a TV station, WGNO, uh, and was asked about um, – 
uh, about you know working in uh, Alabama. He says it will never happen. Orgeron says you don't have to worry about that. Uh, that will never happen with Ed Orgeron. I promise you. So I find that to be pretty interesting. That Orgeron is kind of always kind of giving you a little bit of a alpha vibe at times, even. <laughs> kind of the disgraced former coach uh phase of his career is still kind of that guy of think about the way that butch jones i mean like butch jones became an intern after being head coach at tennessee became an intern at alabama for like thirty five thousand dollars a year and was seemingly fine with that ed orgeron's like i ain't traveling down that path so i guess in a, in a roundabout way you'll say good for ed orgeron on that maybe still trying to save a little phase and hold on to a little pride even though he's out of his job right now at lsu we'll make that your sec through and i'll also remind you here very quickly talked about the big game a little earlier obviously it is one of the great gambling holidays on our calendar and so much more fun to watch the two teams play on this upcoming Sunday when you've got some action down, whether it's a money line pick to win the game or a point spread pick or you got a prop bet down or a you know, over-under total, whatever it is, BetUS.com, the place to go to get involved with that because, let's face it, they are America's most beloved sportsbook. Been taking care of folks for more than 25 years, and they've got a great offer for you just in time for the big game on Sunday. When you go to BetUS.com, when you use the promo code DN125, of course, the DN stands for Dog Nation, DN125, you're going to get 125% sign-up bonus on top of your initial deposit. Simple language. You put money in, BetUS is going to put more money into your account than you put in there. If you put in $100, they are going to give you $125. That's $225. More of that coming from BetUS than came from you. You are literally a winner before you even place your first bet. So the time is now to get involved. BetUS.com, promo code DN125. Take advantage of the big sign-up bonus and enjoy the big game in style this Sunday with some action down and being a winner in a big way with our friends at BetUS. All right, so uh, golden shoe time. And my official position here is I don't condone going up to people in public. I don't think you should do that. You should leave them alone. But nonetheless, it's still pretty funny. Our buddy Matt Rukavina shares this. So uh, he says, uh, can we please discuss this on Monday? So a guy named Cody says that Dan Mullen, was former Florida coach, you may remember him, was standing behind me waiting for a seat at a bar in Park City. He says, I obviously hit him with a go dogs. His wife begged me, please not tonight. We are national champs and I will not relent. So my official position is you should leave people alone in public. But as far as Megan Mullen saying, please not tonight, probably not the first time she's uttered that phrase in her lifetime, if you know what I'm talking about. But uh, nonetheless, uh, <laughs> we'll make that our golden shoe. Speaking of the lousy stinking Gators, how about a uh, Gator hater updater? 4,779 days. Long title drought for that poverty program that is Florida. And a Gator hater countdown. Georgia back in Jacksonville. 263 days from right now. Getting another big win over Florida. So much fun to think about that. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. And on the podcast, I'm going to have the R.S. Andrews podcast cooled in. Of course, brought to you by R.S. Andrews. Online, rsandrews.com. For your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs, R.S. Andrews is the one you turn to for all of that. Uh, a couple of comments coming via Twitter. Our buddy Mad Dog shares with us from our friends at Barstool Sports their ranking of the states with the smelliest people. Texas at 10, Wisconsin at 9, South Carolina 8, Mississippi 7, New Jersey 6, California 5, Alabama 4, Massachusetts 3, Maryland 2, and number one smelliest uh, people, according to Barstool Sports, the state of Florida. Uh, Mike Mad Dog says they really are the lousy, stinking gators. Very good by Mad Dog. And 
Uh, nice job by Barstool Sports there on that. Uh, Fantastic Six weighs in. Going back to yesterday's show regarding the comparison between Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher, my assertion that Jimbo has celebrated the number one recruiting class for the 2022 cycle far more than Kirby Smart celebrated the same feat back in 2018. Uh, Fantastic says, uh, I would say that we can't compare Jimbo and Kirby. I think Jimbo has all the rights to brag. He is building a culture at Texas a I also saw their football facilities, and I was amazed by it. He deserves it. So my point here is, is that I don't think that bragging rights come because of recruiting success, that recruiting success is the bedrock foundation for the kind of success that you can brag about. But the recruiting success in and of itself is not the accomplishment. Now, I do think you can draw a very straight line for the most part between the kinds of classes you recruit and the kinds of wins you earn on the field. But the the recruiting wins are not the the trophy itself. They are just uh, the raw materials that can lead to that success. And I do think it's important to to cast that distinction. And if you'll go back to what Connor and I were saying earlier today when he when he was on the show that there is a way in which by accelerating the process too quickly by by um getting too excited about what happens during the off season of you know going into the 2022 year that you can actually set a false sense of expectations on the part of the people who may have funded some of this certainly even some of the small-scale donors who just kind of as uh, fantastic six says build the buildings and the facilities and and, and things like that that you can set up the kind of thing where they just simply expect too much too soon. And right now, we haven't even seen Texas A&M put a 10-win season together. They did beat Alabama, and they were top five in 2020, so they have had some accomplishments, the Bama win this year, the top five season the year before that. But they haven't really had a 10-win season yet. 2020 was a short, short, short year. They haven't had the 10-win season yet. They haven't really been a true legitimate contender in the SEC West. The loss to Auburn, for instance, last year uh, prevented that from happening. Or Ole Miss, I forget. Schedules kind of run together after a while. The point is, is like there's a big step for for Texas A&M to take to even be truly relevant on the field. And I do believe the recruiting success helps make that possible, but for Jimbo to do the we ain't going nowhere speech on the heels of an off-season accomplishment, I, I just think that that lands in kind of a weird way with me. And most of you know I've actually been fairly complimentary of Fisher for the most part. But, boy, that was a that was kind of a weird, weird statement, for, I thought, for uh, Jimbo to make. So many of you have been so nice, including uh, Dub on Twitter at HBTFD89 and uh, Kathy there as well, um, Trisha Ann about the book that we have from the AJC that I'm a part of, and I wrote about my family in there and the meaning of Georgia's national championship. So many, of you, so many of you have been so nice about that, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being a part of Top Dogs and reading the book, and my part in particular. You have no idea how much that means to me. So I really, really appreciate that. So thank you so much. And for those of you who missed our cool down yesterday because of whatever, and who knows what caused us to have to you know, bail out early yesterday, but whatever it was, glad to be able to be back with you today doing this the way we always do. So thanks so much. R.S. Andrews Cooldown. Find them online, rsandrews.com. Air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Also, Engineered Solutions of Georgia bringing the show to you today. We will see you again tomorrow.